You're listening to a sermon from River City Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. For more gospel-centered resources and to learn about our church, visit www.rivercitympls.com. All right, well, good morning. I invite you back to your seats. You got a little extra long to greet one another this morning. Hopefully you saw some familiar faces or maybe met someone new. My name is Jeremy Edelman. I'm the senior pastor here at River City Church, and I do want to say welcome to all of you. Thanks for joining us this morning. As a church, we exist to see weary lives renewed through relationship with Jesus in the Twin Cities and beyond. That's why we gather. That's why we exist. That's what we're here for, and weariness can come from a lot of different places. And however you walked in here this morning— whatever might be weighing upon you, our hope is that you walk out refreshed through the hope that is found in Christ. Now let me say a few things about what we are not doing in our mission. I think sometimes it can be helpful to clarify things by clarifying what we're not doing. This is not simply navel-gazing and narcissistic mission that's simply for self-indulgence. We're not after happy, clappy Christianity that would deny real struggles in the world, even challenges we've gone through in the last year as a church nor am I talking about despairing Christianity that would fail to see the real hope that there is in Jesus. We want you to know and experience the sort of deep, soul-satisfying, and life-sustaining renewal that is found in Jesus, that you would have strength and joy and life in the midst of this world because of Jesus. In response to our weariness, Jesus invites us to come to Him and find rest for our souls. We believe that lives are renewed in relationship with Jesus. And so as we begin, let me offer you this welcome in the name of Jesus. To all of you here this morning who are weary and are in need of rest, to all who mourn and need comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, this church opens wide her doors and offers welcome. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, welcome. We are glad that you are here with us this morning. Now, if you would, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 24 through 28 this morning. It's found on page 822 in your pew Bible, so feel free to use one of those if you want. Now let me begin here by just um, acknowledging today is the last sermon that I will preach from this platform. After 136 years of faithful gospel ministry here, our church will be moving out. And I have to be honest, at several points this morning, I've felt myself get emotional, even now, at the reality of what's before us. Hearing you all share your remembrances down in the fellowship hall was such an encouragement to me. Reminds me that this building has been an important place for us to gather, but what has been most important for you is one another. The people here who have cared for each other and loved each other, and I have felt that as well. I'm tempted to share my own remembrances, but uh, we are going to gather on Friday, and so I'll share some of those things then, and so come back and join us, and you can hear some of my remembrances. We are closing the pages on one very significant chapter in the history of our church, but we believe that God is not done writing our story. We are hopeful about what is ahead. 
And so even in our hopefulness, we don't need to minimize the difficult reality of what's happening here today as well. Now, before I read the passage for us, I do want to explain a bit of the heart of the sermon today. Dalton started this kind of two-week series last week. We had spent some time asking ourselves, as your pastors, what do we want to say to you all before we leave, before we go from here to wherever it is the Lord is calling us? Some of you will be joining us in the replant of River City Church, and others of you are feeling led to go to a new local church, but whether you are here or near or far away, whether you're part of River City Church or any church, this is our heart for you. This is what we want for you. This is our desire for you, and it's driving us to pray some particular prayers. And this prayer is threefold, and let me explain it to you. The first part is that you would see Jesus high and lifted up, that you would see Him for all who He is, and truly grasp, not just knowing, but truly seeing, and that you would love what you see, that when you see Jesus for who He is, your heart would be warmed with affection for Him. And third, that you would live in light of that reality. Now, this isn't just a prayer we're praying for you. This is a prayer we've been praying for ourselves. Uh, For the past 18 months, I've been trying to be better and more consistent about this spiritual discipline of kneeling prayer. And so when my alarm goes off in the morning, the first thing I do is kneel down on the floor beside my bed. It also helps me to not hit snooze to get on my knees beside my bed because it's not always that comfortable. And recently, I've just been praying this same prayer every morning. The first thing I will say is, Father, help me to see Jesus high and exalted today. Help me to love what I see and help me to live in light of that reality. Sometimes I pray more. Sometimes I just pray that and I begin my day. That's my prayer for me. That's that's my prayer for us. That will be true for all of us. Now, in our passage this morning, my aim in our sermon is to show you how Matthew 16, verses 24 through 28, will help to fulfill that prayer. I hope that becomes evident for you. Our passage today is one of the better known within Jesus' ministry. It is a call to sacrifice, but not begrudging sacrifice. The promise in our passage is that it will actually lead to life. It's easy in this life to look for fulfillment in all sorts of different places. And what most soon discover in that pursuit is that they did not actually find the peace and the purpose they were longing for. And in our passage, Jesus tells us where to find it. The one who made you and who knows where to find true life, he's going to tell us how to find true life. And so let me read that for us as we begin. Matthew 16, verses 24 through 28. You can follow along in your Bible or The words will appear on the screen behind me as well. It says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that it is to us, your people. 
We know that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word will last forever. And so, as we open our Bibles, help us. Open our eyes that we may behold the wondrous things found in your word. And in so doing, help us to see Jesus, to truly see him high and lifted up. Help us to love what we see and help us to live in light of that reality. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this past summer, Megan and I were in Virginia, and we visited Monticello, which is the home of Thomas Jefferson, our third president. And as a historical site, they have sought to be honest and transparent about Jefferson's complicated relationship with slavery. Jefferson wrote in one of the most well-known documents in the history of our country that all men are created equal, and yet he enslaved more than 600 people over the course of his life. And I want to share about this complicated relationship because I think it helps to illustrate the sort of dying to self that Jesus is talking about in our passage. Jefferson's own behavior was challenged by a free black man named Benjamin Banneker. They exchanged several letters, and Banneker appealed to Jefferson's own idea that God created all men equal. And he wrote this, that one universal father hath given being to us all. He's saying, one God created all of us. However variable we may be in society or religion, however diversified in situation or color, we are all of the same family and stand in the same relation to him. And even though Jefferson affirmed this basic idea, and he even at different points called slavery a moral depravity and a hideous blot, he still owned slaves. Many of the reasons he used to justify his possession of slaves were undermined in the person of Banneker. One in particular was that Jefferson argued blacks lacked the mental faculties required to be free in society, but Banneker was living proof that that was not true. He displayed great intellect and contribution to society. It was seen in their correspondence together. It was further proven by Banneker publishing one of the most widely read almanacs of his day. Banneker was a black man with the intelligence and societal contribution proving that black men were not inherently inferior, as Jefferson would argue at times. In the end, Jefferson was left with a conflict regarding slavery, and here's why. Even though he affirmed the philosophical value of all men, even though he could see the intelligence and the imagination in a person like Banneker, he had a problem. As noted on the Monticello website, Jefferson profited greatly from the institution of slavery. And Jefferson liked to live a lavish life, and he acknowledged that this life would not be affordable without his slaves. Even though Jefferson bemoaned the institution, abolishing slavery would be detrimental to his personal lifestyle and income. It would have required a significant degree of self-denial. He would have had to deny himself certain things. And here's where the command of Jesus comes into view. There are times when pursuing God's kingdom priorities is difficult. It will require sacrifice, self-denial, taking up our cross and bearing with the suffering of our Savior. In the case of Jefferson, he could affirm the hideous nature of slavery, even believe that it should be abolished, but this would have required a significant self-denial of his income, desires, and pleasures. And our text today is primarily, in this way, one about priorities. When faced with a decision to follow God's kingdom or to indulge our desires, we are called to follow the way of Jesus, even when it is difficult 
and requires us to deny ourselves. And so here's the appeal that I think our text has for us today. In summary, this is the appeal. When God's kingdom priorities rub against our desires, we are called to deny ourselves and choose the way of Jesus. When God's kingdom priorities rub against our desires, we are called to deny ourselves and choose the way of Jesus. And so, here's our outline for this morning. I'm going to lead us through the text and help you see why our text is making the very appeal I just summarized, and then I want to help us see why this text fulfills this prayer that we're praying for all of you. So first, the flow of the text really is relatively simple, and Jesus is just reinforcing this one big idea with each sentence. And so first, he shares the principle. In verse 24, he tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is fairly straightforward. If you want to follow Jesus, then it will require self-denial at times, because our desires will not always line up with kingdom priorities. Like our Savior and our Lord, we need to take up our cross. And if anyone can make this a requirement of following Him, it is Jesus. I can't ask you to follow me and require you to take up your cross to follow me. Jesus can, because Jesus did not just figuratively take up His cross. He literally carried the cross upon which He would be executed. And he didn't do it because he was guilty or needed to atone for his own sin. He did it because we are guilty and he needed to atone for our sin. Jesus denied himself and died on a cross because we have so often refused to deny our desires and we are the ones who belong on that cross. And in the end, this is good news for us because when he says that in order to follow him, we must deny ourselves, he isn't saying that because we need to earn God's love through our self-denial, but because in view of our Savior's own self-sacrifice, this is the only appropriate response. When we learn to love Jesus in response to his great love for us, why wouldn't we choose the way of Jesus over our own desires? And so the basic principle is to deny ourselves in favor of Jesus. And we can do that with confidence because Jesus first denied himself in love for us. And then he gives the reason. He reinforces his statement with the reason in verse 25. For whoever would save his life will actually lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The reason that we deny ourselves is because in losing our lives, in denying ourselves for Jesus' sake, we actually find it. See, there's a way to live in this world that would indulge all of our desires. Some would argue that that is the goal. The mantra of our age is that you don't need to deny your desires. In fact, your desires define you. If you will only be, or, and you will only be fulfilled if you learn to throw off the voices of that old faith that would tell you to deny yourself. And Jesus is actually saying the opposite. If you pursue your desires and in this way seek to save your life here, then you will ultimately lose it. You will lose it for eternity, and you will also even lose it here and now, because you will lose yourself to every whim of your desires and the directions that the winds of culture drive you. However, when you learn to deny yourself and anchor yourself in the kingdom in favor of God's priorities, then you'll actually find your life for all of eternity, and also right now as you learn to enjoy the peace and the purpose found in Christ. And then Jesus moves into this rhetorical question. He just keeps driving this point home with each sentence. 
He does so by asking these questions. First, in verse 26, he says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? The assumed answer is that it won't. It will not profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul. That will not be good for us. History and experience are riddled with the scrooges of the world who have attempted this and failed. So he asked a second question, kind of the inverse, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The assumed answer here is everything. It is worth giving up everything in return for your soul. What temporary desire would we not give up in the moment if we knew that it would mean that we gain eternal life? Jesus is trying to communicate that this isn't just a command about punishing ourselves or denying ourselves out of some arbitrary idea to gain favor with God. This is not self-punishment as penance. It is the sort of self-denial that actually leads to life. And we do naturally understand this basic principle because we see it in other parts of life. It is seen in the self-denial of the person who stays home on Friday night to practice their violin while their friends go out. Over time, that self-denial results in the freedom to make beautiful music and join the orchestra or perform for others and make something beautiful. We get the principle in the life of a musician. And here, Jesus is talking about this on the grand scale of our lives in relationship to God's eternal kingdom. Because when the way of Jesus requires us to deny ourselves, why wouldn't we choose life in the kingdom over a temporary pleasure? Jesus wants us to keep an eternal perspective, which is why the final part of his teaching is about our hope for the future. In verse 27, he says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. See, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And if you don't believe that, then church is a really bad hobby. If Jesus did not raise from the dead and conquer Satan, sin, and death, then the sort of self-denial that Jesus is calling us to will look foolish, and it would be foolish. But when he does return, he's going to repay us for what we have done. That's what he says. Craig Blomberg, in his commentary in this verse, I think he is helpful in this, he says, what he has done, that phrase, is more literally his practice, a single noun, or a singular noun. It refers to an individual life viewed in its entirety. Did one commit oneself to Jesus, or did one only serve oneself? See, we will be marked by the way that we respond to Jesus. Did we make it our practice to deny ourselves and choose the way of God's kingdom? Because that is what it will mean for us to follow Jesus, to have given our life to Him, to follow Him as our Lord. Or did we indulge our own desires and choose ourselves? Jesus wants us to see that this will not be overlooked. There is an eternal reality at stake. So again, here's the appeal for us today. When God's kingdom priorities rub up against our desires, we are called to deny ourselves and choose the way of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just leave us with this kind of arbitrary principle. Over the course of the next several chapters, Matthew actually captures some of the ways that Jesus applies this principle to his own teaching. So let me give you three brief examples. The first is to choose humility over significance. Choosing the way of Jesus means being willing to deny our reputation and pursue humility. In chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus' disciples, they come to him and they ask about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And they ask this question multiple times. And 
I know sometimes we can be critical of them, like, why didn't you get this? Jesus has to answer this over and over to them. But we have the same habit in our heart. Jesus answers by pointing out a child in their midst, saying that unless you become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom. And in verse 4, Jesus says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you want to follow Jesus, it will mean that you give up your concern with your own self-significance. You deny your desire to lord your position and your privilege over others, and your life is lived in humble service to the needs of others and the priorities of the kingdom. We get that in principle, but it is not always easy in everyday life. One of the most penetratingly honest statements that one of my kids has ever made to me was when they said, but I want what I want. So often, that is our problem. We just hide it better when we get older. We want what we want, and we don't care how it will affect anyone else. And we justify our selfishness by saying, well, it isn't fair that I cannot have what so-and-so has. Or we point out to the person who has more platform and more privilege than we do, and we think we ought to have the same. One of the ways we deny ourselves is to choose humility over significance. A second is to choose forgiveness over punishment. Just a little bit later in chapter 18, Jesus is asked by Peter how often he needs to forgive his brother who has sinned against him. And in answer, Jesus tells a parable about an unforgiving servant. It's a really wonderful parable, and I'd encourage you to go back and read it in its entirety, but I'm going to summarize it quickly. One man owes a great debt to his master, more than he could pay off in a lifetime, in multiple lifetimes. And this man asks for pardon, and the master forgives this great debt. Well, on his way home, the man who has just been forgiven a lifetime worth of debt sees someone else who owes him about a hundred days' wages. Not a small amount of money, but nothing near the debt that he was just forgiven. And rather than offer pardon, he has the second man thrown into debtor's prison. And when the master learned of all this, he was enraged, rightly so, And he sent the first man to prison until his debts could be paid in full, which we know would have lasted his lifetime. And here's what Jesus is saying. If you are in Christ, you have been forgiven a lifetime of debt. It was a burden that you could not bear, and we would be crushed under its weight. But Jesus took that debt upon himself, and through his blood, we have been offered pardon. In comparison to the forgiveness that God has offered us, any offense from any other human is small, not insignificant, but small in comparison to God's forgiveness. Therefore, in the economy of God's kingdom, self-denial will mean that rather than seeking punishment and vindication from others, we are called to offer forgiveness. Now, will that be difficult sometimes? You bet it will. That's going to be hard sometimes. That will require you to die to yourself, just like Jesus has said. But that is what it means to pursue the way of Jesus instead of indulging our own desires. So right now, let me make this brief appeal to you by way of application. If you are marked by an unforgiving heart, or if you are harboring unforgiveness right now towards someone else, even as I say that, maybe someone is coming to your mind, then ask God to help you see the significant weight of pardon that has been offered to you through Jesus. And in response, ask God to give you the strength to deny your desire for vindication and penance by offering forgiveness. Now, the third is Jesus calls us to choose Him over material wealth. The final example I want to point out is Jesus' interaction with the rich young man in Matthew 19. 
In this example, we see that self-denial means choosing Jesus over material wealth. This young man comes to Jesus asking what is required to have eternal life. And after some initial interactions with the rich young man, he shares that he's honored God's commands, and Jesus replies back to him, telling him that there's one more thing that he still lacks. And I really appreciate the way that Mark writes it in Mark 10, 21. He adds this little extra detail. He wrote this, and Jesus looking at him, and here's the phrase that Mark includes, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. The call for Jesus to deny ourselves is not out of some tyrannical sense of control. He is not just indulging himself to see how much sacrifice he can exact from us. He looked at the young man, and he loved him. And it was out of his love for him that Jesus called him to deny himself, because Jesus knew that this young man could not love both his possessions and Jesus. You cannot serve two masters. The call to deny ourselves is one of priority. We can either serve Jesus or we can serve our own desires. Now, hopefully over time, our desires will become increasingly more aligned with Jesus's, but when the two rub up against one another, we are called to deny ourselves and choose the way of Jesus. And the response from the rich young man breaks my heart. Here's what Matthew writes in 19.22. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The young man didn't want to deny himself. He had too many things. Here he was, faced with the decision, choose Jesus and his kingdom or choose his possessions. The man really wanted to follow Jesus, but he wanted his stuff more. And in the end, he walked away sad. In this example of what it means to deny ourselves and choose Jesus, we see that our possessions will want to fight for first place in our lives. Our desire for more things, better things, bigger things. We will invest ourselves into accumulating material goods and gaining significance. And for what? So we ask the question Jesus asked, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? Now this is not to say that you cannot own nice things. That's not what Jesus is telling us, right? You can have a quality home. You can have a well-made pair of jeans. That's not the problem. But when our desires rub up against kingdom priorities, we are called to deny ourselves and choose the way of Jesus. And so here we we see three examples from the life of Jesus. They each came in response to someone asking Jesus a question. Do you notice that each of them come because someone came to Jesus to ask a question? On some level, I think they all wanted to know if they could have something else, share the place of priority with Jesus. They wanted him to give, you know, the okay, to sign off on it. The disciples wanted to know who was the greatest. And Jesus said, deny your desire for self-significance and choose humility. Peter wanted to know how forgiving he needed to be. And Jesus said, deny your desire for self-indication and choose forgiveness. The rich young ruler wanted his possessions, and Jesus said, deny your desire for accumulation and choose generosity. Now, I cannot give you a policy manual on how you do this in every situation. My goal has been to help you see how this principle works itself out in the teaching and the life of Jesus so that you can learn to discern your own desires and know when you need to practice self-denial in favor of God's kingdom. Now, let me tell you briefly 
why I think this text will help you accomplish the prayer that Dalton and I have been praying for you. Because whether you are here or near or far away, whether you're part of River City Church or any church, we want the same things for you. We want you to see Jesus high and lifted up, to love what you see, and to live in light of that reality. First, in our text, we see that Jesus is the sort of person who is worthy of our complete allegiance. He is the sort of person who has the gravity around which our entire lives can orbit. There is nothing else in life that can truly make that claim. There are certainly other things that will try to make that sort of demand upon your life, but none of them can deliver on their promise. The rich young man thought his possessions were worth his highest priority. He could not serve two masters. Jesus is calling his followers to deny themselves. And part of seeing Jesus is recognizing that he is the one who denied himself first. Jesus' greatest self-denial was taking the heavy yoke of the law upon himself. He perfectly obeyed the law, and yet he suffered the law's curse for you and for me. As he was preparing for the cross, he could feel the growing burden of his sacrifice in anticipation of the cross that he was called to bear. He knelt down in a garden in Matthew 26, and he prayed to his father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And here comes the prayer of self-denial that Jesus prays. En route to the cross, Jesus' desire rubbed up against kingdom priorities, and he denied himself. He chose the way of the Father that he had set out for him, and Jesus prayed, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus denied himself and took the curse of sin that we were meant to bear so that we could have life. In this way, any self-denial that you and I make is really not a loss, but a gain, because in denying ourselves, we actually find ourselves. And we are praying this prayer because we want you to learn to see Jesus as the highest treasure you could ever know, and someone whom you would gladly give up all things, because you see that He gave up all things for you. The second part of our prayer is that you would love what you see. In seeing Jesus for who he is and seeing him as the one who practiced the ultimate self-denial through his death on the cross, that your heart would be warmed toward him, your affections would be raised, that you would love him more deeply. Author and teacher Jen Wilkin has this great statement in her book, Women of the Word. She wrote, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. Wilkin wants her readers to study God's word so that their minds will know the precious truths that are found here. And in the words of our prayer, related, that you would see Jesus high and lifted up. The second part of our prayer is that you would love what you see. See, one flows from the other. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. And in seeing Jesus for who he truly is, we cannot help but have our hearts warmed toward him. So ask God's Spirit for eyes to see. The passage that Dalton preached on last week highlighted Jesus' invitation to come to Him and find rest for our soul, to give up our striving and find true rest in Him. This week, we're seeing Jesus say that if we're going to follow Him, then we must be prepared, prepared to deny ourselves. At first, they might seem like they're at odds. We come to Jesus for true rest, but if we come to Jesus, then we must do the difficult thing of denying ourselves, right? That doesn't initially sound like rest until we realize that they actually come together in the person of Jesus. Jesus is gentle and lowly, and he calls us to exchange the burdensome yoke of legalism and self-righteousness for his light yoke. 
And this is possible because Jesus denied himself and took upon himself the heavy yoke of the law that you and I could not bear. He obeyed it perfectly, and yet he suffered the lost curse. And in the sacrifice of Christ, the heavy yoke of the law is exchanged for the light yoke of his righteousness credited to us. But following in the way of Jesus will require us to deny ourselves, just as he did in pursuit of God's kingdom. See, in both passages, there's an invitation to come to Jesus, to follow him. And in both passages, the outcome is true life. In one, there's an invitation to give up our own striving for righteousness. In the other is a call to deny the part of us that would want to live in opposition to the righteousness that Jesus has purchased for us. These are only possible because of Jesus. And when we see the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf and the life that he offers us in himself, how can we not come to love him more fully? Finally, to live in light of that reality. We've already been talking about this a little bit. When we see Jesus for who he is, the one who denied himself and took our, cro- took our shame upon himself at the cross, when our hearts come to love what we see in Christ, then we will want to live in light of that reality. And that means that when our desires do rub against kingdom priorities, we will deny ourselves and choose the way of Jesus. I was talking with someone recently about a difficult decision they need to make, and as we weighed the various factors, they said back to me, I don't think Jesus wants my comfort to be the primary factor in this decision. I immediately thought about our text. Jesus wants us to choose his kingdom over our comfort. And sometimes that means meeting the needs of someone else. Sometimes it means saying no. But avoiding discomfort is not the way of Jesus. And it is in our self-denial that we find life. Now as we close, let me contrast for us two pictures, two rich men that Jesus came into contact with. One is the rich young man, and let me tell you about another named Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Jesus meets him on his way through Jericho, and when Jesus meets him, he invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house for lunch, and it says that Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully. Now, of course, the others around them grumbled that Jesus would enter the house of a sinner like this tax collector, but we discovered that Zacchaeus had actually felt the weight of his own sinful practices as a tax collector, and he had sold half of all that he had owned and repaid with interest anyone he had defrauded in his tax collecting. And now I want you to see the contrast between the rich young man and Zacchaeus. The rich young man was respected. He followed the law. He was a devout Jew. He was the sort of wealthy businessman who showed up to church regularly, lived a life of morality, tithed a sufficient amount, maybe even served on a board or ministry team. And when Jesus called him to deny himself, he walked away sorrowful because he had so many possessions that he loved more than Jesus. He worshiped things over his creator. Contrast that with Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector, despised by his people, viewed as a traitor to his nation. He was not seen as a moral person, but a sinner. But when, Jesus came, or when he came into contact with Jesus, he chooses Jesus over his wealth. And that would have required significant self-denial. In order to give away half his possessions, he probably had to give up certain pleasures in life. He didn't get to have the extra carriage in the garage anymore. He he had to give up the renovation plans for his home. He had to buy fewer tunics for himself. And even though this all required significant self-denial, here's what Luke records about Zacchaeus as he received Jesus. He did so joyfully. Now consider the contrast. 
One wealthy man is respected by others as moral, but refused to deny himself and give up his possessions in order to follow Jesus. And he walked away sorrowful. The other wealthy man is despised by everyone as a tax collector. He denied himself, gave away half of all that he had in order to follow Jesus, and he received Jesus with joy. See, Jesus is worth your self-denial because he is worth your entire life. And in the scope of eternity, it's not a hard choice. One will lead to life and joy, the other to death and sorrow. When our desires rub up against God's kingdom priorities, we are called to deny ourselves and choose the way of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this sermon from River City Church. If you found this resource helpful, we encourage you to share it with your friends and family. We exist to see weary lives renewed through relationship with Jesus in the Twin Cities and beyond.